Downloadable audio episodes can be found on the podcast link found at drawincustomers.com. We are locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. My name is James Kademan, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, that's tough to say that word, right? Author, speaker, and helpful coach to small business owners across the country. And today we are welcoming slash preparing to learn from Eric Melkor. I should have asked you how to pronounce your last name before I even started this thing, but hopefully I did okay. No, that's correct. Melkor. Yeah. Right. Of Optimunk. And Eric is in, well, currently in the marketing world, but it sounds like Eric has had quite the story. So Eric, let's start with how are you doing today? I'm feeling pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show, James. Thanks for being on the show. Now, I have to apologize because I didn't realize that you were not stateside. So I feel like, is this two in the morning where you are? I don't even no, know. No, 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 no. It's 9.30 p.m. Not too late. The kids are in bed. They're asleep. So we're good. All right. All right. Well, cool. I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. So let's start with what is Optimunk. Yeah, well, Optimunk is a website personalization platform. We basically give marketers and brands the tools. It's like Amazon-like superpower tools that allow you to give personalized experiences. So that way you can communicate the right message, the right offer, or the right next step to any kind of visitor that you get on your website. That could be a new visitor, maybe a repeat visitor, maybe a visitor that has a coupon, or a visitor that made a previous purchase, all kinds of different uh, segmentation that you can do. We make it pretty easy. I mean, you don't have to have any coding experience or an expansive IT uh, team. Uh, basically, it's a drag and drop interface, and uh, we give you a tactical library on how to how to implement all these personalization strategies and tactics as well. All right, can you give me a quick example of like the best? I don't the best uh, example of a customer or client of yours that uses this. What they use it for? Yeah, yeah. So uh, here's one. Uh, we have uh, one client called, uh, their US-based US retailer called uh, Woodhouse Clothing, and they get about a third of their traffic internationally. So they use this for giving a personalized experience to their international visitors because they notice a lot of their international visitors had a high bounce rate and low conversions rate. Mm. And so what they discovered was, was that even though they were getting this international traffic, they just weren't completing the purchase order. So what they did is that if they, if a visitor came like from Germany, for example, they would greet them with like a, a very small message that said, welcome you know, from Germany. Uh, we ship to your location. All of the prices include your local currency and include taxes. And by the way, if you spend more than, you know, hundred Euro, then all shipping is free. Right. Just by having that little message there at the very beginning for all, all of their international traffic, they were able to increase like the revenue, like by 20 percent uh, just from implementing that little personalization tactic. All right. When you say message, we're not talking necessarily typed. It's a video. Is that right? Well, no, it's actually like a little side message that is like on the sidebar of the Web page. OK, and so as the person scrolls up or down the Web page, it's right there. And so it's not completely in your face. However, we do give you functionality to where you can make that message like a teaser or you can make it like a little pop-up um, or a full screen or even dynamic content. So you can embed it on your web page, and it looks like it's just part of the messaging on your web page, but it's actually embedded dynamic content. Interesting. So it's based on where the person is or how often they scroll or uh, some like triggers of some kind. 
Absolutely. You can go over the background and design when, when and where you want this trigger uh, and how do you want it triggered. All right. And Timmy, how long have you been with OptiMonk? I've been with OptiMonk, oh, about a year. So I okay. moved to, yeah, I moved to Europe about two years ago and uh, I discovered the platform. I first got into personalization when I moved here, working for another personalization company that specialized in video, personalized videos. And uh, I loved it. They're called Bonjuro, and it's a great personalized experience, you know, greeting and onboarding and welcoming customers with a personalized video. OptiMonk has the same sort of mission and values, except that we're trying to give you or give all of your visitors that type of experience in real time on your website. All right. And are there certain websites that you work better for? Is it all e-commerce type stuff or? We're mostly e-commerce known. We've got tight integrations with Shopify, Klaviyo, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, Magento. I think more than 50 di different integrations with CRMs. And, um, but there are some B2B um, companies that are using us. We were surprised to learn that and we wondered why. And when we started speaking with them, they realized that every visitor is very important that comes to their website. And so they use some of our tactics and capabilities to really personalize that experience so they get the most out of that, that visit when they come to their website. So one example is um, there's a company called OmniConvert. And if you go to their website and you're there for a few seconds, there's a little message that, that appears and just says, hi there, we want to, uh, you know, we welcome you and we want you to get the most out of this visit. Uh, can you tell us, you know, what is troubling or no, what industry are you in? Are you from an agency? Are you from an e-commerce background? Are you from a lead generation background? or other, and then based on your response, they personalize the, the next part of the, uh, the, the, the journey for you. And so right. that's what a lot of B2B companies are doing uh, because they realize that <clears throat> with cookies um, not being you know, tracked through Apple iOS anymore, and it's just getting much, much harder for the cost per acquisition increasing like on Facebook, that it really just makes sense to get zero party data which is asking the customer directly, how can we help you? What are your pain points? You know, uh, it's so interesting that you say that because I remember the promise of digital marketing, let's say in the neighborhood of a decade ago, maybe a little less than that, when the world made it sound like we're going to be able to tell you exactly who is on your website, why they're on your website, what pages they went to, the time, scrolling, where they were at the time, even like how many times they blinked, where their mouse was, yeah. all this data that you could use to just optimize your website to be the best website it possibly can be. One, to be found, and then two, to answer the questions. And eventually, I mentioned for a lot of websites that we care about this stuff, sell the visitor. Yeah. On whatever widget or service that we're selling. Yeah. And I no, remember getting the ads for the search engines, ads eventually as social media came around up there. And that promise I've never seen delivered. It was always yeah. like some people came. We don't even know if they're human. <laughs> we, they could be bots for all we know. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, Google Analytics, it's going to tell you. People think that it tells you where your traffic comes from. But the, the truth is, it doesn't tell you if they came from like a podcast, you know, or, or what was the name of the podcast or if they came from an influencer, right? It doesn't tell you everything. And so you're never going to be able to deliver a completely personalized experience on the internet. Now you may know the source and where they came from based on IP, 
You may know if it was like a certain media channel, if they came from Instagram or Facebook, or maybe even a Google paid media ad. But for a big majority of your visitors, maybe even 50%, you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it makes sense to try to start these micro engagements with them. And what I mean by these micro engagements is just asking like a very basic question. You know, if you're an e-commerce site, hey, are you shopping for, for yourself or for someone else? Right. We just had Valentine's Day. A lot of people went online to go buy gifts, I'm sure. And if you're a site that gets a lot of seasonal traffic, that's a very simple question that you can ask. And if the person responds by saying, hey, I'm shopping for someone else, fantastic. Here's our most popular giftable items right now. You know, oh, take, nice. Take them to the part of the website that's most valuable for them, right? I mean, you know, time is precious. You know, why have them mess around on your website when you can deliver the next logical choice that makes sense for them? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So it sounds like you guys are essentially marketing for the people to refine the message once visitors get on the site. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. I mean, if you're doing paid advertising, right, we want to make sure that you get the best return on investment you can. So based on whatever ad that they're clicking on, whatever value propositions that you are promoting through your ads, when they get to the website, that headline is aligned with the value proposition on the ad. Right. So we show you how to do that. Now, if you don't know where that visitor is coming from, that's where we have these what we call conversational messaging or conversational pop ups. And so if you're like a health and wellness site and the three main products that you sell are how to lose weight, how to gain muscle, how to sleep better, then it makes sense to ask the person in the very beginning, you know, what's troubling you, you know, gain muscle, lose weight, sleep better. And depending on their answer, you can say, fantastic. You want to gain muscle? Here's our top articles on how to gain muscle. By the way, here's our best-selling products on how to gain muscle, right? And so you take them to the part of the website, you take their hand, say, here you go. Here's what you're really looking for. And after they've answered, depending on who you're integrated with, we can tag them and we can feed that information. For example, if you're using Clavio, we can feed that information back to Clavio. And so that way, if they subscribe and enter an email, now you can begin the segmentation part when it comes to email marketing based on some of the responses that they gave on the website through conversational pop-ups. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they want to grow a muscle or whatever. You get their email address then your newsletter or whatever email that you want to send them can be geared towards that versus better sleep. Exactly. They're thinking, I sleep just fine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're saying, hey, take the long-term approach. Instead of trying to go for the quick win by pull information, by trying to get their email address very quickly or, or their SMS, because that's what you see a lot of marketers do nowadays. They, they've been so programmed to say, hey, here's, t- here's a 10% off coupon. Give us your email address. Mm-hmm. Okay, We're saying, hey, that's a bad experience, right? Sure, you may get the email address, but are they going to be clicking? Are they going to be opening your emails? Are they going to be clicking on them? Probably not, right? So deliver value, deliver education, deliver a good experience. And in the long run, when they are purchase ready, they're going to buy from you because they, they're going to know you have the right product for them, that you've been servicing the, the right information, the right education for them, and that you're not trying to pull information very quickly. I mean, take the long-term approach. That's, that's what we believe in. All right. Tell me with these... I want to say form, but I guess it's actually just a question pop of thing, like essentially asking, what are you here for? 
what is the typical percentage for the number of people that are actually clicking on that or responding to that question versus just hitting the X, moving on with their life? Yeah. Or anything else other than answering that question? Significantly higher, usually 12 to 15%. And this is much higher than your typical um, email subscription pop-up. That's usually around two to 3%, right? Oh, all right. So, so if you get, if you start the conversation through a pop-up and you get like a 12% conversion rate on that, and then after they respond and you say, fantastic, would you like to receive our you know, top 10 ways on how to get better sleep into your email address right here. And so that conversion rate for the email ask is usually about 25 to 30%. So you're actually doubling wow. your e- email subscription rates versus if you would have just had a standard uh, welcome email that says, or welcome pop-up message that says, you know, here's 10% off coupon, give us your email address. Interesting. That is way higher than I would have anticipated. Yeah, I mean, it's that's what a lot of brands who are very successful, wink.com, they are a wine subscription platform. They actually have email subscription rates that are like in the 60 to 70%. If you go through their journey, it's very, it's a lot of fun, actually. I mean, you go there, there's like five questions. The first one is kind of basic, like, do you prefer white wine or red wine or both? And then the second one is a funny question. Uh, It says, you know, some lunatic mixed peanut M&Ms and Skittles together in a bowl, you know, which ones do you pick out? Right. Oh, and then it, uh, <laughs> yeah. Then it asks you like, you know, do you, do you like Mexican food or Japanese food or, you know, sushi, right. It's, it's trying to get like your taste buds and your flavor so it can pair you with the type oh, of Oh, I was trying to think like they got to be going hidden towards something. I'm not sure what it is, but that makes sense. Yeah. Then let you say it. Okay. Yeah. So after they, they've discovered or they matched you with uh, what, what's, the wine that you would probably prefer at the very end, it says, fantastic. We have your custom wine box ready to show you. You know, if you'd like to see it, just let us know if you're a legal drinking age and it's your email right here. <laughs> wow. All right. So that's a, an entertaining funnel. And I imagine yeah. just for the product itself, it's more, um, I was going to say a need versus a want kind of thing, but maybe there's some people that actually need their wine. I don't know, <laughs> but it's something that's more, fun rather yeah. than like oh i gotta go buy some socks yeah. <laughs> I don't know. there probably is a sock of the month club i don't know about but yeah i guess you know what i mean like if you're shopping for wine you I, probably I, have a glass in your hand i think there's a subscription box out there for everybody james so i wouldn't be surprised if there's a sock uh, <laughs> subscription box the gift that keeps on giving all good <laughs> all good <laughs> So you had a story essentially talking about how, like, you're not, you're, you were born stateside, right? Yep. Born and raised in Houston, Texas. All right. And you ended up on the other side of the pond just for fun. It sounds like, right? Well, kind of. I I actually came here 15 years ago for one year for a contract role, working for the largest media agency based out of Romania. I had been living in New York city at the time. And I was there for about seven years, but I didn't want to go back home to Houston. So when I saw this opportunity, I'm a little bit adventurous, James. And so I thought, hey, for one year, I've done a lot of traveling. I visited a lot of places. I enjoy traveling. So I thought this would be sort of an adventure. And I came here for one year, had a great time. And uh, I ended up meeting or falling in love with a girl that worked in the same building. And oh, wow. I 
<laughs> came back to Houston, but we were still in touch through Skype and instant messaging. I ended up coming back to visit her and I convinced her to move to Houston. I told her it's this beautiful cosmopolitan city. Uh, I, I tried to like paint this picture that I was very European-like. I even bought her this used Aprilia scooter. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. <laughs> so she could drive around in. And I bought a condominium in downtown Houston because it's like the only walkable part of the city. And uh, she ended up coming and, and uh, it, everything worked out. I mean, we, we, knew, we knew it was going to work out and we ended up getting married, having a couple of kids. And uh, we talked about moving back here to Romania so that our kids could get to know her side of the family. And it already had been almost 10 years since she left. And, and since I lived here, and I enjoyed it. It wasn't like this was going to be a big shock or surprise for me. And so when COVID happened and we were trying to juggle work and raising a newborn and a three-year-old at the same time, oh, wow. it just it just wasn't working out. I mean, it's like okay, you know, whoever doesn't have a meeting right now watches the kids, and it, it, our life was miserable when COVID first hit. And uh, my parents were still working; they weren't retired yet. The daycares were closed, and so we thought, hey, maybe now's a good time to go back to uh, Romania because her parents were retired; they could help out. And uh, that was when it, we had been talking about it, but it just seemed like if we're going to do it, I think now's a good time. Everybody's working remote anyway. So mm -hmm. we made, we made the decision to do it. We thought that it would take a long time to get everything done, but we listed our, our home for rent and unbelievably, we thought it was going to take a while, but the first date, I think there was like 12 applicants, three of them wrote us letters and uh, two of those letters, people offering more than what we were asking. And so that was the easy wow. part. We thought, we thought that was going to be hard, but no, renting out our home was quite easy. And, and uh, we sold our cars pretty quickly and uh, we were ready to go. The only, the only thing that we were delayed on was getting our newborn's passport because they were delayed. And so we were just waiting on that to come in. But finally, once it did come in, we made the transition here uh, and it's, it's worked out. All right. You raised a few interesting points here, and this is just is entertaining for me because I love travel. I love talking to people that travel, but the whole, I didn't even know newborns needed passports. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I suppose they're human. I don't know. Is there a cutoff or just like that umbilical cord is cut, buddy, your, your own separate being now or. Yeah, no, I think they do. I mean, if you, uh, if you're leaving the country, I think maybe if you go to Mexico or Canada, you can get by on the birth certificate, but anywhere else uh, they need a passport. Wow. Okay. I don't know what I, thought the age would be but fresh out of the oven it was not that age i guess yeah i think we were at the post office taking a picture of her when she was like two months old you know and typically right. it takes like four weeks but i think it took 12 weeks to get it wow and they keep telling the baby not to smile right don't smile look yeah. like a serial killer for the photo yeah something like that so you i just love this whole moving thing because it's so that is something that I'm envious of you there because I keep talking to my wife about us moving somewhere else and she's happy where she's at. Very static. Yeah. Which kudos to her. We have a good, good thing going here. So there's no reason to change that, but it's a small world and I'd love to see it. So when yeah. you, you sell your cars, you rent out your place, that is not a light switch. Like, it's not just like the house is rented and our plane tickets are going now. Or like we're, we sold the car at three we rent the apartment out at four, sold yeah. all their furniture at five. We're good to go. Yeah. How did that work with the transition? 
Well, the big decisions were really the health, the health aspects. Dude, let's get all the records for the kids, all of the, um, uh, uh, you know, the shots that they've had. Our daughter, she has club foot, so she has to get treatment or has, you know, a special treatment um, every few weeks for a doctor to look at. So that was a big thing uh, for us. And so once we were able to get, you know, all of the medical records and get that underway, the second thing was hiring a company that can move a lot of our stuff over there. And oh, so you did move a lot of your stuff. We vetted some shipping companies. We just right. did boxes. Um, you know, we didn't take big things like so far a bed. I mean, we just took mostly clothes, um, some books. You know, you're really surprised. I didn't realize I had so many books. Um, but they just accumulate over time. Oh, yeah. I, I think we had like maybe 25 boxes um, and the rest of the stuff that we sold. I mean, we were selling stuff like on the Facebook, uh, the community or Facebook neighborhood. My wife was doing that. And we literally would just put stuff right outside the front door and just instruct people to leave money underneath the mat. And even like things like vases or, you know, toasters or stuff like that, right? And then my family, you know, if they wanted something, you know, we, we give it to them or, you know, they bought it really cheap or whatever. So I think over two months, we got rid of pretty much everything, but you know, you at bargain prices, I mean, we, sure. our goal was just to get rid of it. Just get rid of it. We got rid of it, you know, and then we moved into, my dad had bought a, a large house. And so he had three extra rooms and we stayed in there until we got the passport because we had our renters that were coming in. And uh, yeah, we were there for a few weeks waiting on the passport. All right. Uh, before we moved here. Yeah. Nice. So when you, you had the same job initially in the States, I guess, right before you moved and then you carried that job over? No, no. So, so during the job, COVID happens, right? I'm a director for uh, a publicly traded company in the States, you know, and I'm making really good money, you know, more than six figures. And the first call that we had with the CEO and I was part of the leadership team, you know, he tells everybody we're good. You know, nobody's going to get let go in case people are worried, you know, we're in a good position right now. And so I felt pretty good after that. And about three days later, <clears throat> I get on a call with my boss. And as soon as I jump on the call with them, he, he says, you know, Eric, I've also got HR here with me too. And oh so, no. I was one of not a good person was, to share zoom with. Yeah. So I think I was like, I don't know, the first wave, I was part of the first wave, uh, got laid off. And um, I had, I had a, a compensation package, the best compensation package I've ever had in my career. And it was six months. And so six months compensation package. And what I did though, James, was that even though I got a six month salary, um, the banks at that time, the mortgages lenders basically said, if uh, you're impacted from getting laid off, you can suspend your mortgage payments. Oh. And so right. I suspended our mortgage payments for about six months. And um, I think I did the same thing with my student loan. And uh, daycare was closed. And so instead of paying, I think the daycare cost was like $1,300 a month per kid. And so we weren't paying that. I didn't have a mortgage. And um, I had all this, you know, extra money and I invested in it. And so. <laughs> no, I we're talking March, April. What this month? Is, yeah, this is like, this is March, April. And so okay. March. Because we're talking February investing. You had a bad day. March. 
Yeah. Had a good day. <laughs> so April, basically, I guess April, for about five good months, I took that money that for my salary and um, I put it all in investment. And, nice. and at that time, I'm, I'm sure you probably remember, you know, this is back in 2020, I guess, but late 2020, early 2021, you know, this, all the stocks just went up. I mean, oh my God. Crazy. Cycle. Crazy. We're recovering James, from that now. <laughs> James, I turned, I turned literally, I think $70,000 at one point. I kid you not. At one point, all of my investments hit, I think $496,000. Wow. I'll never, I'll never forget it. I was like a day trader. I was checking my Yahoo stocks on my phone here in Bucharest every, every 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I, I didn't even have a job. I moved here. I didn't know anybody, you know, yeah. I didn't have a job, <laughs> but, but you know, we're, we're, and, and it, it was really, it was a really bad point in terms of our, of our life and our, our situation. Cause you know, when you don't have a job and if it impacts you, you mm-hmm. know, we had gone from a 2000 square foot home into this 1000 square foot condominium. And, you know, our daughter was here, even though our son was in daycare and, you know, there's just a lot of people with my mother-in-law here and it was just kind of a bad situation, but I had this one good thing in my life that was going on. And that was like, Hey, I'm yeah, right? a lot of money here, mm-hmm. you know? but you know what, this is what being a novice is. A novice is, is not knowing when to sell. I was just going to ask you, did you pull the shoot or, I mean, you don't know, you think you're on top of the world. You're on top- you got it all figured out. You you got it all figured out. I'm already I'm already calculating. Oh shit! I'm gonna let this ride another couple of years so that way you know it becomes a million and uh, you know I buy yeah. you know the great house that we here and what color yacht do you want? <laughs> <laughs> you know I think I don't know if us men do that, but we start planning these things you know like a year from now based on our projections of mm-hmm. where we're gonna be monetarily and everything. And so I was doing a lot of that and I was feeling pretty good, but. Obviously, if something goes up, it's going to go down, and it started going down and going down and going down. But again, I was a novice, and I never, I never sold it. And so now, that um, you know, that four hundred ninety-six k, it's substantially, substantially lower. I don't even look anymore. I don't even, I don't even look anymore because when I did look, I was getting you know depressed and getting down. Um, but now I realize, you know what, that was just like easy money that was in the past. I got to mm-hmm. just let that go. And I got to focus on what's, you know, what's good in my life right now. And what's good in my life right now is my family, my health. Mm -hmm. And um, I've got a great role that I'm in right now and and loving the position that I'm in. I'm loving the uh, podcast that I created. I'm loving some of the friendships and relationships I've been developing over here since I moved here. And I'm just loving being, you know, the best uh, husband and, and father that I can be. I've got a very good life here. And, you know, that's, Hey, you live and you learn. If I'm ever in that situation again, I don't think I will be. But I, I learned the lesson that I think once you start bragging about a stock, that's probably when it's time to sell it. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Bitcoin, Tesla. I'm thinking all this stuff. You know, it's yeah. interesting. I had a similar situation, but there was a chunk that I pulled out in time, not from my knowledge about the stock market. It's purely because I needed down payment for a commercial building that I threw some money on. So I pulled the money out October of um, 20. I'm trying to think exactly when that was. Whenever it was, it was like the peak of the market. 
yeah. I pull a chunk of money out and the market tanks and oh, we're man. still recovering from that. And I looked at that even the other day, I looked at that and you look at the graph and I'm like, that looks like I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm not a genius. No one that I know of, no one that I've even read about uh, could have predicted all that's going on with the market. Yeah. Um, to know what to pull out. Like that was pure dumb luck. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that luck. Yeah. And it's one of those like, you just feel like every once in a while the universe is like, let's throw him a bone. Yeah. <laughs> let's throw him yeah. a bone. Yeah, no, I wish there was an apartment we were looking at, or, or I was looking at, and it was a new development. And I think they wanted something like, I don't know, 200,000 euro for it. And I thought it was in a great location. And I, I convinced my wife, let's go look at it. And I told her, let's buy it, let's buy it. But she wasn't happy with it. She did not want it. And because she wasn't really happy with me going forward, I decided not to go forward. But if she was happy for it, I would have I would have sold a chunk of that money, and I basically would have at least had an asset. And, oh, and, and, oh and, sure. And, and, and now I have nothing. Sure. <laughs> Chalk it up to experience and move on, right? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, you, is the plan now for you to stay in Bucharest and keep working with Optimonk, or is it travel the world even more? I guess what's the game plan? Yeah, no, that, that is the game plan right now. I mean, with Optimunk, I, uh, I met Shaba. He was a guest on my podcast because I interview startup founders based out of Europe. Oh, and nice. And we had a, a really, a really good episode recording and we stayed in touch. And I guess he had been seeing my content or my posts on LinkedIn because I became more, um, more consistent with my posting. And he learned that I was actually going to be looking for a new role. And so, you know, he said, Eric, you know, I want to tell you about my vision for Optimunk. You know, what's the, the roadmap for the next seven years? My goal is to turn this into a unicorn. You know, here's how we're going to do it. Um, and I thought, you know, it was just a platform that helped e-commerce companies, you know, get more subscribers through pop-ups. And when he showed me that the new personalization platform was rolling out, that's when I got very interested and exciting. And he was showing me like on Google Trends, our website personalization is trending up and up and up. And then all these projections and analysts and new companies that are coming out, you know, based on personalization, mm-hmm. um, that really, uh, I guess you would say, you know, it, it really sold me, but, but it wasn't so much just the company. It was just him as a person. I mean, he was just a really, he was just a very authentic, genuine, you could tell he had a lot of inspiration as a leader, uh, and a very nice person. So it was really the first role I've ever gotten where I didn't have to submit my resume or interview. Oh, and nice. He, he simply knew me because of my podcast. All right. And so when we designed the role, um, it was really a, a role that, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, we kind of collaborated together. We thought, what could this look like based on, you know, what is it that we want to do? And so now for Optimunk, uh, there's like three big projects that I'm immersed in. And I feel like I have uh, an essential role in, in, in trying to make this, this you know, vision a reality uh, you know, for, for the company. So I'm really invested in it. I've got a little bit of equity and you know, a decent salary. The salary doesn't compare to anything that I made in the States, but I don't think any salary for you know, a SaaS company out of uh, Europe is going to compare to you know, what anybody was making in the States. But it's a great role. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a role that, you know, I don't even really consider it work. I mean, it is work. No, I get you. 
but you know, it, it's like when people say like, you know, it's not, it's not work when you love what you do. And I can mm-hmm. honest, honestly say that it's, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's probably like a nine out of 10. And I don't think a lot of people even have like a seven out of 10 jobs. No, so this, this is many probably bad. don't even have a four <laughs> or they wouldn't even know what to look for. Or, or I guess even the trap that I was in, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago. I didn't know, like I heard that do what you love and you'll be happy the rest of your life or, or you won't consider it work or whatever. And I was, I mean, the jobs that I had, I knew that they were jobs and it was, it was trading time for money and you couldn't, there was, I don't want to say no joy, but I felt like if I just change my perspective, I'll be happy enough. And I didn't know that you could design you can design your own job is what it comes down to design your career lifestyle, all that jazz. I didn't even know that was an option. Didn't even know. It's not as a kid. I wasn't even taught that. I mean, my parents were just like, go to school, get a good job. And and that was it. I was never, they never instilled like, Hey, try to do what you're passionate about. You know, try to like really go and pick a career that you're going to really, really immerse yourself into with your creativity and your talent and everything that was never really instilled inside of me but what was your first role that you felt like hey i'm getting really a lot of good enjoyment was it was it for an employer or was it for yourself Mm, no it was for myself i mean a strong argument could be made uh when i worked at a movie theater that was only because the people that i worked with were so cool yeah i mean it was so much fun because you're when it's like this is back in the day when we had popcorn, soda, and candy. There was no pizza, nachos, beer, none of that. <laughs> there were no recliners. You had stadium typical seats yeah. that had a cushion-ish on them. Like, it's a different world back then. Dolby had just come out. <laughs> like to put you, IMAX was like, there's three of those in the country kind of thing. They weren't every corner. Yeah. So it was just a different world back then. So I say that to say there were times when you're just hustling. I mean, you can't work fast enough. And I think when I started there, I think I was making three eighty-five an hour, <laughs> like nothing. Yeah. And uh, then, like it, all the people, go to their movie theater and watch their movie. So now we have essentially nothing to do. Maybe not if he asks the boss. We don't have a whole lot to do, right? You got time to lean. You got time to clean, kind of thing. Yeah. But so we would just hang out, chat. It was just like you're hanging out with your friends. And then, like, that was seven o'clock show, right? They came and went. Now we got nine o'clock show coming. So you prep, you get everything done, and you get good at it. And the people that you're with are good at it. And so you got a system down. So what would take some people an hour to do, we're knocking out in 10 minutes. Yeah. Because it's it's a smooth system. I can still remember, this reminds me, I was working at the movie theater. We have this uh, circular concession stand. So the concession people selling stuff like that me included are in the middle and then we're surrounded by people and i think lion king had come out and lion king was like whoa right everybody in the world wants to see that movie 20 times yeah so our lobby was packed and we have this butter machine because heaven forbid they put real butter on it you have this i don't know what it is oil stuff we have a heater with a little pump that you pump on the popcorn and we for whatever reason we weren't smart enough to wrap the cord like tie it somewhere to the outlet. So the cord would drape. So I would always, and it was right in front of this popcorn drawer where you open up the drawer to get the seeds to throw the popcorn. Uh So there's a system, right? 
popcorn popper's done. You got to get more seeds in there. You open the drawer, you put it in there, flip the lid, move on with your life. Well, somebody happened to drape the cord in front of that drawer. So I yanked that drawer in the middle of this busy night. And that butter thing, this hot, oily butter thing was flying all over the floor. And I was so, first, there's like 27 emotions rolling through you, right? First, you're just angry. You're livid. And then you're like, this is kind of funny. And then you're like, who's the moron that put the cord in front of the drawer? (laughs) And just all this is going through you. But the funniest thing was the crowd, like they saw what happened. (laughs) So now they're starting to laugh. There's clapping like, thanks, guys. Really? That's helping a lot. (laughs) It's interesting because those moments when you're making like, I don't I think I went to lunch the other day and I probably spent more on just a regular old lunch than I made in four hours working that job. Yeah. But it was cool. It was fun. The people, except for whoever put that cord in front of the popcorn drawer. I hope they're in hell right now. But I mean, maybe not. That's me. It's one of those things where you're just like, that was cool. I almost most days i look forward to going to work jobs that i had besides that one um i can't say that until i started my own business i can't no i would love to but yeah no it's always great when you work with people you love i got two friends hired at a restaurant that i worked at in houston and it's actually similar to what your experience is because we had these waves of people it was in the theater district and so at 6 p.m restaurant just gets packed within Mm. like 15 minutes all the tables are filled then they all leave usually a quarter to eight because the show started eight oh sure and and then it's practically empty for like two hours until the shows get out and people are coming back in for like dessert or drink or whatever and so it's pretty quiet in between you know these waves that would happen but it was just a great experience because i had my friends there and i have i was a moron too one time where we had these guests, they weren't from the States, they didn't speak English. And uh, you know how some restaurants, when they have those displays of desserts Mm -hmm. in the front, and those are usually the fake desserts. All right. Well, I, I I was at the computer trying to print out a check, and I put the real dessert plate down. And when I printed out the check and I put it in the book, I mistakenly picked up the fake dessert. That was Oh, no. Okay. And I served it to them. And um, I remember going back like 10 minutes later to pick it up. And I noticed that the cake was eaten, you know, because the cake was real. It was just a few days old, I think. But I, when I took the plate back and I put it in the, uh, in the little tub for the dishwasher, and I remember putting the, the plate at an angle, and I noticed that the ice cream didn't slide. And I went back and looked. And while I'm looking... The, the kitchen staff, somebody from the kitchen staff, she, she notices too, and she realizes what happened. She realizes, holy shit, Eric, excuse me, Eric <laughs> gave that, that plate to a table because that ice cream was Crisco, right? <laughs> it was Crisco, you know? And so <laughs> I couldn't believe I made that mistake, James. And so I went back to the table. The people already paid their bill and left. They didn't complain because they didn't speak English. Right, but I had given them the fake dessert. The one that was like three days old. Oh! And when I come back in the kitchen, the entire kitchen is laughing, and the manager comes out and he's like, "What's going on?" And the kitchen staff—they're just like laughing and pointing at me. And you know, I was a pretty good waiter, so you know, Chris, the manager was like, "Eric, what happened? What are they laughing at?" You know, I'm like, "Oh, nothing." You know, there's no thing. With, there's a joke. I was just joking with them. <laughs> 
Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That was my most, uh, mor- that was my biggest moron experience. As a so that's why we have Europeans complaining about American food. They're like, even their ice cream is weird. I don't, even know. <laughs> don't eat there. Don't eat there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. Chalk oh, it up man. to experience and move on. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Eric, tell me, Optimunk, you've been with them a little over a year and you've seen changes in marketing and stuff like that. The web, I guess, I mean, chat GPT, all this AI stuff coming around. Is that a tool? I mean, AI universally. Is that a tool that will help you guys or is that going to be a competitor to what you, you have going on? We are starting to invest uh, more in AI. It's actually in our roadmap right now. Um, over the next three years to do a lot of investing in AI. We're actually rolling out our first AI component, and that is basically a subject line recommend- recommendation based on AI. Oh. Um, I'm sorry, not subject line, but headline. Okay. And so if you have different landing pages um, and you're not really sure of what the headline or subheadline could be, you could use our little tool in there and it could rec- it'll make some recommendations based on AI uh, assistance and it will automatically A-B test different headlines for you. All right. Um, so that's the first, you know, AI uh, little t- component that we have, but we're going to be rolling out more AI uh, stuff. So it's not really a competitor to us um, as it is to other marketing channels, like, you know, coming up with different ads or summaries or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to figure out how can we incorporate it into our tools so that it know our users and ourselves can take advantage of it yeah it's a it's very interesting world the interesting part i guess is it's a powerful tool but the other interesting part you mentioned even with the headlines i wonder what i guess to me it's like a little machine right stuff goes in something comes out and there's an assumption on a lot of people's parts sometimes myself included that the thing that comes out is like that's the answer that's 42 right that's the answer and I'm like, yeah. well, it depends what it's taken in to give that answer. Because if the, the stuff that is taken in was never that great, then the yeah. stuff coming out isn't exactly gospel, but yeah. it, it went through the machine. So it's got to be kind of thing. Yeah. So how sure. do you know, I guess that, let's say in the example of the headline, how do you know that like, that's the one Yeah, it came out of the AI machine. So we know it's the one. Yeah. I, again, I mean, it's, it's just a tool. I saw this post today that said that, um, you know, people are using uh, GP chat to, you know, get you different Twitter threads or tweets <clears throat> and you can do that. That's fine. But I didn't know this. You can actually be very spe- specific and say, you know, give me tweets that are funny based on this summary, you know, give me tweets that are, um, you know, maybe not funny, but maybe, you know, have a logical reason or something based on this. So like the more specific you give it, it will, it will actually turn out something, you know, based on the query that you're asking for. All right. I, think the, I think the bottom line is, is that it's really up to you to either ask the right questions or still do your own research and not just rely on the tool. Oh, you raised a very interesting point there about asking a, a better question. I suppose that goes in life as well. <laughs> Almost universally, every relationship, whether with AI or a human, ask a better question to get a better answer. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Eric, you've worked at a lot of places, seen a lot of things. What is some of your life advice that you'd love to share with people? Entrepreneurs specifically, but we can have fun with whatever you want. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, the advice that I give is, is that, 
and I, I'm talking from having launched a few different businesses that have been, uh, I guess you would say failures, right? Okay. I tried launching, um, it happens. It happens at least three or four, you know, different failed businesses, you know, but the couple of things that I've been really successful at are things that I felt were really core to who I am as a person, you know? And so the whole cliche is like, you got to do something that you're passionate about. It, it, it is true. I mean, for example, when I launched a uh, kids nonprofit, it was the first kids uh, fitness program to utilize fitness trackers. And so I'd give different classrooms, these fitness trackers, and I'd have classrooms compete against one another, seeing oh. as a team, which classroom can generate more fitness moves than the other team over a certain amount of time. That gave me the, the best fulfillment out of anything I've ever done. Right. Very cool. And it was one of the, 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 the projects that I had a lot of success in, but it was something that I was very, very passionate about, you know, whereas other businesses that I've launched before, I felt like, Oh, I know how to do that. I think I could, you know, compete in that, in that, in that area. I think I could make some money not not successful at all so all right that would i would just say you know really try to find something and if you don't know what that is yet then that means that you know you still need to experiment and explore and try other things i mean it takes time to figure out you know what, what is it that you're passionate about it just you just can't just sit down one day and ask yourself that and you've got no world worldly experience no no especially i mm. guess that's the challenge right youth is wasted on the young kind of thing <laughs> where you have all the experience and now you're too old to do anything about it yeah, yeah, it's a combination. You got to go out, try things, do things, immerse yourself in different jobs. I mean, you've mm -hmm. had a lot of different jobs. I think I've had, I don't know, I would probably say maybe 15 or 20 different jobs. The first one, you know, at the age of 14. Um, so I feel like I think I know who I am. I know who I'm, what I'm good at. And so mm -hmm. I'm already at the age where I'm not going to go dive into something and I know that, hey, I'm not that passionate about this or I'm just, it's just, uh, my talent is not really, you know, meant for that. Whereas, you know, being a podcast host or maybe leading a workshop, you know, you know, talking to people, building relationships, getting to know people, that's stuff that I'm good at, you know? And so if it's something to deal with that, then that's something that I can really excel in, um, whether it's related to work or outside of work. Fair. Totally fair. Tell me really quick, your podcast, what is, uh, what is it title? Yeah, it's called Innovators Can Laugh. And so, uh, we basically hear about the ups and downs of European startups, and I try to do it in a fun and casual coffee-like chat, try to have a little bit of fun along the way. A lot of these, um, these startup founders, you know, English is not their first language, and so they're a little bit hesitant in coming on. You know, they're afraid that, you know, maybe uh, their accent, that it won't be understood, or because they're not a big, big company yet, it's like their first time coming onto a podcast. So I really try to make it, uh, you know, very... Uh, very friendly, you know, very leisurely and, and, and a lot of fun. And I, I think uh, I think a lot of the guests have had a good time and it's become uh, one of the podcasts to listen to if you're interested in European startups. Yeah, that has got to be one of the coolest names of a podcast I've ever heard. I, Innovators I, Can Live. That's genius. I, I think it's I think it's funny. I mean, you know, I asked uh, some of the if, my job is really to make them feel good, make them feel comfortable. And if it if it takes starting off with some crazy questions like, you know, what's a dish that your uh, your partner likes, but you you really dislike, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody what is your what is your 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 partner, your girlfriend or wife, James, that you don't like? Because there's got to be something right. 
Uh, she will eat anything not healthy in front of her for breakfast, like okay. chips, candy bar. I don't know how she's not 500 pounds. Uh, it yeah. just blows my mind because it's yeah. one of those like, and the joke is, um, oh, what did she say? She even had ice cream once and she's like, ice cream for breakfast. Who is your mother? It's one of those things like, what in the world? Yeah. And I just, from a health standpoint, I just can't, I can't, won't eat ice cream for breakfast. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if I'm on vacation, maybe I'll try it. But yeah, I typically wouldn't eat ice cream for, for breakfast. Yeah, so, but, but that's um, that's better than liver, though. So my wife eats liver and I won't touch uh, it. Our dog loves liver. You know what I, I mean? <laughs> yeah. And when she was giving it to my son for the first time, I was like secretly cheering for him to like spit it out. and throw Oh, it in funny. Face. <laughs> you know? Oh, I can remember <laughs> my parents making liver for us. And to them, they loved it. But to me, I'm like, this is the most disgusting stuff in the world. Yeah. And I joke now, I'm like, the depression is over. We don't have to eat the organs. <laughs> we can eat the meat. Yeah. It's just, their <laughs> organs can be for hot dogs or something like that. We don't need to pretend anymore. Yeah. yeah. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. So it's not 1929. Um, Eric, I got to wrap this up because we want to fit it in the show. We got to wrap it up. So how can people find you? Yeah, so optimunk.com. Uh, that's the best place to learn more about optimunk.com. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look for Eric Melkor on LinkedIn. All right. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Eric. Thank you, James. Pleasure being here. This is awesome. Oh, uh, one more thing. Where can people find your podcast? Innovators Can Laugh. If you just want to search for it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or even on YouTube, Innovators Can Laugh. All right. Perfect. This has been Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. We're locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. If you're listening or watching this on the web, if you could do us a huge favor, you know what I'm going to ask, right? Thumbs up, subscribe, but most importantly, comment and share the news about your entrepreneurship, your podcast, and of course, your marketing on your website, because that's the thing, right? Nothing happens till sales made. My name is James Kateman and Authentic Business Adventures is brought to you by Calls on Call, offering call answering and receptionist services for service businesses across the country on the web at callsoncall.com. And of course, the Bold Business Book, a book for the entrepreneur in all of us, available wherever fine books are sold. We'd like to thank you, our wonderful listeners, as well as our guest, Eric Melkor of Optimunk. Eric, can you tell us that website one more time? Optimunk.com. Easy enough, right? <laughs> Super cool. <laughs> Past episodes can be found morning, noon, and night. The podcast link found at drawincustomers.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next, next week. I want you to stay awesome. And if you do nothing else, enjoy your business. Mm-hmm.